are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We are in a series called Origin, processing through um, the book of Genesis. We're taking the time to really grab a hold of what this great book has in store. We, we all know the major stories. We know the major moments in the book of Genesis, but little, oftentimes we, we fail to really dig in and find out every detail of the book of Genesis. What we're trying to do is process through and, and realize that all of God's Word, not just the New Testament, but all of God's Word is applicable to our lives today. Amen? Amen. We've taken the time to process through in the beginning. It took us several weeks to get past verse 1. We passed it and we came back and hung out for a little bit. We've watched sin enter the world and make an impact. We've watched the great flood take place. We had an amazing night when we talked about who wants to be a Nimrod. That was a great evening. Um, we looked at choices that we make. We've looked at choices that God makes. Tonight, I want to look at what's in a name. I want to move into chapter 17. We see something transpire, and I'm excited about this moment because I've really struggled. Can I be honest with you? I've struggled up to this point because we've had to refer to him as Abram and his wife as Sarai. I much would rather call them Abraham and Sarah. So after tonight, from this point forward, I get to call them Abraham and Sarah. So I'm super excited about that. That doesn't really matter to you much because you are just listening, but it's super difficult to call them Abram and Sarai. So we are going to move past that this evening in chapter 17. Let me ask you a question. What's in a name? Does it really make a difference of what we call them? In Genesis 17, we see two names that are changed and are really highlighted for each of us. What is a name? By definition, a name according to Google.com, and everything is perfectly true on Google, Google.com describes it as this, a word or set of words by which a person, animal, place, or thing is known, addressed, or referred to. So let's take a step back tonight. Let's look at the first name that is highlighted in Genesis chapter 17. Now this name wasn't changed. But this name is is brought out on the very beginning, on the onset of things, I believe, on purpose. Our text is found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, the very first verse of chapter 17. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. We take just a moment and we highlight a name. Did you see it? Did you see the name that we're highlighting? God takes the time to highlight who he is. He says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Why did God take the moment to remind Abram of who he truly was? Did Abram not already know God? Had he not already had moments of worshiping God? Had he not already had moments of conversation with God? Had he not already had those times when he had that personal encounter with God? Yet in this time, on the onset of this chapter, God takes a moment to remind Abram who he is. He says, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. You see, what was happening here is God was setting up a conversation. 
He sees the mess that Abram and Sarai and Hagar have just been through. So he was reminding Abram of just how mighty he truly is. He is God Almighty. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too difficult when he is involved. He is able to fulfill his promise even when it seems there's no natural way possible. Now let me remind you of something at this moment. God had promised Abram a son. So Sarai and Abram had taken it upon themselves to bring in Hagar's servants, I'm sorry, uh, Sarai's servant Hagar. Abram has sexual relationships with Hagar and then Ishmael comes on the scene. Do we remember the struggle that we've experienced over the last couple weeks. But in this moment, it seems impossible. Can God really fulfill His promise? Can God really complete what He said He would complete? God had already promised the Son. He's already promised Abram that His descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Do you remember? He told Abram, look up. Can you count them? That's how many your descendants will be. But in this moment, Abram is 99 years old. Sarai is 89 years old. How is this possible? How is God going to fulfill his promise when physically it is unable unable for Sarai and Abram to have a child? How does God introduce himself? I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. He's saying, listen carefully to what I have to say. I am more than able to fulfill the promise that I have made to you. I have made a covenant with you, and it will, in fact, be fulfilled. This moment of understanding, understanding completely all of God's majesty and his awesomeness, must have been overwhelming to Abram. We see in the next verse that that Abram falls face first on the ground before God. Then God begins to lay out all that is included in Abram's name. You see, when God changes a person's name, when he gives him a, a new name, it was usually to establish a new identity. God changed Abram's name, which meant high father, to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. We find that in chapter 17, verse 5. Then we read a bit later that God changes Abraham's wife from Sarai, which means my princess, to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. This name change took place when God gave Abraham a covenant of the land of Canaan. God also reaffirmed his promise to give Abraham a son specifically through Sarah. And told him to name his son Isaac, meaning laughter. God makes a promise that he will always be Abraham's God. What's in the name? God refers to himself as God Almighty. He changes Abraham's name to mean father of a multitude. He changes Sarah's name to mean mother of nations. What about you? 
How has he changed you? See, here's the good news. Jesus declares that you are, in fact, changed. If you've given your heart and your life to Christ, if you've surrendered yourself to Him, you are not what you used to be. You are new, transformed, renewed. No longer the same. Your identity has changed. So that which you have allowed to identify you all of this time is not what God is using to identify you any longer. Let me say that again. That which you've allowed to identify you all of this time is not what God is using to identify you any longer. You may have allowed that to identify you in the past, but I want you to know you are no longer the same. You are changed. You are transformed. Second Corinthians says you are a new creation. In fact, look at Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. W- would you read that with me tonight? Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Would you say it with a, a little bit of conviction and belief tonight? Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is what? Forgotten. And everything is what? New. Your past is forgotten and everything is new. Here is why I want you to understand tonight. Today, tonight is your night to change your identity. Now, I know. I know. This sounds like a really strange message for a Sunday night. This is more of a a Sunday morning statement. This is what you say when when you have all the guests in the house. This is what you say when you have those that have never been here before. This is what you say when people are watching online. So why am I sharing this tonight? Because this is what God told me to say. You are no longer the same. The old is gone. Some of you in this room... Yes, some of you on a Sunday night in this room have been allowing your past to identify you. You've been allowing it to call you by name, mind you, the wrong name for too long. But anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. You see, Abram had been walking with God side by side. Like many of us in the room, he had spent time with God, worshiping Him, crying out to Him. He had conversations with God. Many of us have had similar things take place. God begins to make a major change in his life, and his identity in this moment is about the change. The problem is that there are those of us in this room that have allowed the situations or the struggles to identify us for so long, we become comfortable in that moment, we hang out in the lazy boy of life. Well, this is just how it's always been. This is how people have always known me. This has kind of been my M.O. for all of these years. I might as well just accept it. This is the lifestyle. This is the behavior. This is the response. This is the action. This is who I am. 
Can I remind you of something tonight? Those who belong to Christ are a new creation. The old is past and the new has begun. It's time tonight, church, for each and every one of us individually to stop living according to the past. It's time for us to stop allowing the past to identify us. For the longest time, Sarah was just known as a princess. But now she's the mother of the nations. What about you? What is God wanting to call you? What is that new name that God is wanting to give you? But for some reason or another, you're still drawn to that old name. How many of you, when you were in school, liked science? (laughs) I got like three hands raised and one ooh. Isaac Newton's first law of motion. Do you remember it? Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Look at that again. Everything, say everything. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Too often, we have become like this item in a state of rest. We become comfortable where we are. We no longer see a need to really change. Life suddenly becomes quote-unquote, easy as it stands. Why ruffle the feathers? Why make a change? Here is the answer to that continual question. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And since we are His children, whose children? God's children. And since we are God's children, we are His heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You are an heir of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The creator of the universe declares that you are his child. Well, that should have made some of you excited. The creator, the one that spoke life into existence, looks upon you tonight and says, You know what? You are my child. I've got a new name written down just for you. What you've allowed to identify you for all these years is not who you really are. You thought that you were just a princess. But I want to make you the mother of the nations. You thought that you were just the father. But I want to make you the father of the multitude. What is God wanting to call you tonight? He declares that you are his child, chosen, an heir of his. Tonight, very quickly, I want to look at three steps to a name change. 
There are some of us, God's given us that new name, but we've failed to allow that new name to take root inside of who we are. So I want to look at three steps, three steps to move toward that name change in God. Number one, release your personal control of your life. That's hard. I don't know about you, but that's difficult because we like to be in control. We like to handle it. We like to resolve it on our own. We like to manage or even micromanage every detail and every area of our life. So here's the deal. If we truly wish to change our identity, to change what defines us, then we must make the conscious decision to change. Amen. Make the conscious decision. I am going to change. It may be difficult. Let me rephrase that. It will be difficult. Change is hard. We see that Abram struggled with this a bit. He was not ready at first to accept God's plan. He says in verse 18, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. In other words, God, let's not really rock the boat anymore. We've already kind of made a mess of things down here. So let's just go with that. Ishmael is here. Let's go with Ishmael. We don't need to worry about Isaac. This will work. This substitute that we talked about last week, this substitute will work. No real need for drastic change. Let's just go with Ishmael. Let me ask you tonight. Do you really want to change? Do you remember what I told you last week? Don't settle for an Ishmael when God wants to give you an Isaac. Too many of us are settling for that substitute. We're settling for second best and we're wondering why things really aren't clipping along like they should be. Abram says, let's just go with Ishmael. He's already on the scene. I've already got an heir. We can make that work. You've called me the father of many nations. I can have all of this through Ishmael. He's my son. But God said, I've got a better plan. Do you want to change? Do you really want to change your identity? Do you really want to change what you've allowed to define you? If you don't, then Isaac Newton's first law of motion states, you will stay the same place where you've always been. Do you remember the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results? Some of us, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and we're thinking someday there's going to be some change. There will never be change unless a different force compels you to move forward. I'm telling you tonight, God is propelling you forward. But some of you have dug in your feet of resistance for so long that you don't know what else to do. Release control. Give it to God. Romans 8 verse 2 says this, And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What I see in this tonight is this. Because we belong to God... 
The power of life-giving spirit through Christ has freed us from all the things that we've allowed to define us for year after year after year after year. So what is it that we need to do? How do we step into this new identity in Christ? The beginning point is to confess your sin and ask him to come into your life. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've already given your life to him. Well, you can't stop there anyway. That's the starting line. That is just the beginning. But Jesus says that he has come to give you life and life more abundant. How do we step into that abundant life? Well, it takes a bit of hard work. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we're saved by works because we're not. We're saved by grace and grace alone. There's nothing you can do to receive God's grace except just to accept it. It's not how good you can be or how many times you volunteer. It has nothing to do with you except you saying, Lord, I receive you into my heart and into my life. So what does it mean to show the results of my salvation? It means do the hard work of pressing forward, of growing, of maturity, of maturing in your walk with God. What we're talking about is pressing forward for the results. If we have been delivered... If we've been set free, then why do we keep stepping back into those old shackles? God looked at Abram and says, I want to give you a son through Sarah. I I want you to call him Isaac. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram looks back and he says, Let's just hang out where we are. Let's just do what we've been doing. I know it caused some headaches. I know it wasn't the easiest route. It probably wasn't the smartest choice. Now I've got Hagar and Sarai, and they're, they're, they're bickering back and forth, and that's not a good moment. I've got Ishmael in the mix. Let's not throw another baby into this. Right? It's time to release control. It's time to give it to God. God is trying to remind Abram that he alone is God Almighty. He begins the conversation by saying, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. He was the one who was more than able to meet the need and fulfill the promise. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, The law of Moses was unable, look at that, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies of we sinners. And in that body, God declared an end, say end, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God declared an end of sin's control. God declared an end to that old lifestyle that we've allowed to identify us for so long. God has given an end to that which is holding us back. God has prepared an end and set an end in motion to that which is holding us where we are and not allowing us to move forward with him. It's time to step out of the land of bondage and move in to the land of victory. 
Amen. Some of you will get excited by the end, I'm hoping. (laughs) Step number two. Realize that you are chosen. Number one, release the personal control of your life. And number two, realize that you are chosen. Some of you struggle in this. You have a hard time wrapping yourself around the idea that God has chosen you. Because you can come up with a myriad of reasons of why he should not choose you. Right? Did you know that God loves you? He personally looked at you and and he said this, that's who I want. That's who I want on my, it's kind of like gym class in school. You guys remember gym class? Actually, this is a whole lot better than gym class because if you were like me in gym class, I was oftentimes the last one to get chosen because I was that music kid. Don't put a ball of any sort in my hand. Mind you, I did play basketball and football in fifth and sixth grade. I did. Until I got tackled one day on the football field, and I got up and went, that's dumb. Why would anybody want to get hit? That hurts. And then I realized it doesn't hurt to sing. In fact, it's a lot of fun to sing. How did I get on this? You are chosen. There it is. You are chosen. It's kind of like in gym class when you were that special sportsy kid, people would choose you. Well, guess what? God doesn't choose you on the basis of your ability. He chooses you on the basis of his grace. He chooses you because he loves you. He wants a better life for you. He looked down at you and he chose you specifically. God desires that each and every one of us come to the place of forming a trusting relationship with him, giving him our full and complete lives. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world. Come on, look at that. Even before he said, let there be lights. He looked through all time and said, you know what? I'm choosing Gary. Yeah. You know, I'm going to choose Linda. I'm going to choose Harry. And one by one, he called us by name. Before he even took the time to form the first tree, before he created mosquitoes, Before he created this world as we know it, one by one, he looked over the course of time. He says, I choose you. You're on my list. Isn't that awesome? That's the love. That's the mercy. That's the grace of God. He looked over this world, saw millions upon millions of people, and he loved them all, and he chose you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, and verse 5 says, That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to give you a better life. He wants that which defines you to be better than that which you've identified yourself for all of these years. He wants to call you by a brand new name. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says this, He, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. 
He showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and all understanding. Jesus came to redeem you. To set you free from all the things that have hung you up for all this time, for all the things that have entrapped you for year after year. He says, I want to set you free from all of that stuff, and I want to give you a new name, a new life. I want to give you real freedom. Just as God has made a covenant with Abram. Now Abraham has made a covenant or just as God has made a covenant with Abraham, now God has made a covenant with each and every one of us. This covenant was set in motion with Jesus on the cross. Remember, Ephesians says that we are holy and, and blameless, not on our own account, not on our own merits, but through Christ and Christ alone. Not in our ability or in our self-doing, but in and through Christ. Jesus came to this earth to reach a lost and a dying world. He's chosen each and every one of us. He's come to know us, to draw us into His presence. He chose to graft us into His family and therefore set us on the perfect plan, set it in motion. What's in a name? Well, the name changes everything. A name redefines you. And for us, that's good news. The moment we accept Christ, we've got a new name. The old is gone and the new has been set in motion. But note, God chose us even before the creation of the universe Salvation is 100% His grace and not on the basis of anything that we do ourselves. He chose us in Christ, not in ourselves. And He chose us for a purpose, to be holy and without blame. How often do we find ourselves like Abraham? We keep trying and trying and trying to go back to that old plan of action. Just make Ishmael the promised one. Just pour out your blessing through Ishmael. A plan that has only caused us stress. A plan that has only caused us issues. But it's the only plan that we know. It's the only name that I've ever gone by. Abram's 99 years old. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. How about calling them by a new name? Could you imagine for 99 years you've been called Abram and suddenly God walks up and goes, "Uh uh-uh, from this day forward, you're Abraham. From this day forward, you're not Sarai. You're not a princess any longer. Now you're the mother of nations. I've got a new name for you. But we keep running back and back and back to that old plan. The plan that doesn't work any longer. The plan that has never really worked. Abram is thinking to himself, 
Sarah is now 89 years old and I'm 99 years old. How in the world, how in the world can we really be changed? How can we add a baby into the mix? Let's just go with Ishmael. Just make him the promised one. But again, God had a better plan. He chose to change both Abram and Sarai's name, Abraham and Sarah, the father of nations, the father of a multitude, the mother of nations. But I want you to understand tonight, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, God has a plan for your life. Let me say that again, because I've heard both sides of that as an excuse. Well, I'm just too young, or well, I'm just too old. I've heard that. I've heard a lot of things as a pastor, I'm just telling you. But can I, can I just share with you that you are neither too old nor too young to fulfill the plan that God has set before you. He has handpicked you. He's handpicked you for the calling that is specifically set for you. There wasn't another guy down the street. When, when God left Abram, when God said, okay, from this point on, you're Abraham. You're going to be the father of the multitudes. And he didn't like walk down the street and find another guy. Okay, okay, now your name is Abraham. He doesn't have like some sort of uh, form and mold that he takes from this point to this point. God has a purpose for you. Specifically for you. God has called you by name. So what do we have to do? We've got to release control. We've got to realize that we're chosen. And the third step is this. Receive your new name. Receive your real name, or your new name. Some of you tonight, you've taken the first two steps. But you haven't moved in to the third step yet. You've given up control. You understand that you belong to Christ. Yet you continue to live the life that has identified you for year after year after year. Remember, Abraham lived with that name for 99 years. Sarai lived with that name for 89 years. They allowed it to identify them for all of this time. Yet we continue. We continue to live the life. The false identity. Why? Because we fail to pick up our new birth certificate. Let that sink in for a moment. We fail to finish the name change. I googled how to change my name. By the way, it's not a bad idea. Chris Gray is really boring. I mean like Julio Fernando. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be a cooler name? Chris Gray is super, super boring. Please don't start calling me Julio. We actually did that to my dad a couple years ago. Uh, He was in the hospital. Uh, He had a pretty bad disease going on, infection in his body. And 
he had just gone through a surgery and he was coming out of that and, and we were all in good spirits with this. And, and on that board in the hospital room, they always have like little requests of who the nurse is. And there's a little spot on there that says, name patient prefers to go by. We may or may not have grabbed the marker and written Julio. I'm just saying, we may or may not have done that, but it was very funny. Um, some of us, we failed to pick up that, that birth certificates. We failed to finish the name change. But in that website on, on how to change your name, one of the websites stated this. There are 11 easy steps to changing your name. I found out it's very interesting. Step 11 is this. Step 11, the last step, start using your new name. Thank you, Captain Obvious. I thought that was really odd. Isn't that an obvious step? Wouldn't you just figure out you'll start using your name? Why would a person go through all the trouble of changing their name, yet continue to use the old name? Then it hit me. That's exactly what many Christians do. We go through all of this time of of being grafted into the family of God. We go through all this time of this lifestyle change. Yet we continue year after year after year after year allowing that old name to define who we are. We go through all the steps to turn our life around. Yet we allow the old identity to define us day after day. I'm reminded of a man in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon. Many of you in the room tonight may recognize the story. But let's take a moment and look at the life of Gideon. Judges chapter 6 tells me this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. First off, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Not in a wheat threshing press, but a wine press. He was in a place that wasn't designed. He was hiding out. He's trying to keep away from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said this, The Lord is with you, what? Mighty warrior. Back up. Back up the train for a moment. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon is hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding out for fear of his life, afraid of the Midianites. And yet the angel of the Lord says, You are a mighty warrior. Gideon responded by saying this, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakness, the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. One translation says that Gideon responded and said, How can I rescue Israel? I'm the runt of the litter. Gideon had allowed his life to define who he is. I'm the smallest guy around. My family is very weak, and I'm the weakest of them all. 
He was allowing that to define who he was. Yet God used Gideon alone, along with 300 warriors, to defeat the Midianite army of 200,000 people plus. How is it possible? How did this runts, this weakling from the smallest tribe, how was he used to lead this small army of 300 warriors? I believe it's because God took the time to rename Gideon. He set him on a new path. He started by saying, you are a mighty warrior. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not see in himself. Tonight, God sees more in you than you see in yourself. You may be hiding in your wine press. You may be stuck in that which defined you yesterday and the day before. You want to break free, but you're stuck in your own identity. I'm the runt of the litter. I'm the smallest in my family. I've got this issue and that issue. This struggle and that struggle. This problem and that problem. But what I want you to understand is you are not alone in this journey. I said you're not alone in this journey. How do I know that? Because Romans 8.31 says this. If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? It doesn't matter how messed up you feel that you are. It doesn't matter what you've allowed to define you in the past. What I want you to understand is your Father, God Almighty, is on your side. As some of you, when you were little, you were the smallest in your family, and you would use phrases like this. Well, I just had my big brother come beat you up. Anybody use that? Don't raise your hand. We've heard that before. Or my dad's bigger than your dad. Well, guess what? If God is for you, who can be against you? It doesn't matter what Satan says about you. It doesn't matter what he tries to persuade you. It doesn't matter what he calls you. Because he's not your dad. He's a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. But you're the child of the Most High. You've been grafted into the family of the Almighty God. Today, tonight is your moment of accepting and receiving your new identity. Of letting it take root in your heart. Step six on the website of how to change your name tells us that some states require you to publish your name. You've got to publish it for a number of weeks for the name to become official. I believe that's kind of what Abraham did. He stepped out in faith. He followed God's command of circumcision. What step of faith do you need to take tonight to complete your name change? What step of faith do you need to take tonight to move into receiving this new name, to accepting this new name? See, God already made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. 
I will make you the father of the multitude of nations. I will confirm my covenant to you. I will give you the land of Canaan. I will be your God. I will bless your wife as well. I will honor your requests. And I began to look at all these promises and I realized something. God has also given us many, many promises. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to forgive our sins if we will cast our cares upon Him. He will hear our cry. He will lead us and guide us. If we need wisdom, all we have to do is ask. He promises to heal our disease by His stripes. We are healed. He promises to be our supply, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. To hear our hearts cry, to meet our every need. And the list goes on and on. He's already set his plan in motion. The question is, will we trust him as he makes us what he's designed us to become? Will we receive that new name tonight? You see, on the onset of our story, God takes the time to not only identify himself, but to preface the entire conversation with a bit of instruction. He says, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Are we willing to walk that path? Are we willing to serve Him faithfully? Now some of you, that idea of living a blameless life, that's scary because you know just how human you are. You see, that's where grace steps in. That's where the mercy and the love of God steps in. Are we willing to serve Him faithfully? Are we willing to do all that we can to fulfill our part of the covenant agreements? God has already fulfilled His side. It's now our turn to step out and receive a new name.